everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode number 131. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today. Along with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Uh-huh. Haley is now sad that we no longer have our Halloween intro. We don't have our spoopy ween anymore. I was, I, I love our intro, but man, that was a good run of three weeks. This I need, year. I need to figure out like what could I do for a fall specific Thanksgiving, like turkeys and crows. See, I feel like like I want to have more hollow uh, Hollywood holiday stuff. But I don't want it to all become holiday stuff. But at the same time, I do want it to, be, to become Holly, Halloween. <laughs> Holiday. Halloween. <laughs> we're, we're recording this the day after the time changes. And technically, it's supposed to be 947 at night right now on a school night. And my brain's not functioning at 100% capacity. So please do excuse me. Yes, I would, I would like to make more holiday episodes. But I do agree. I don't want every month to have a holiday episode. Because at that point, it would just get ridiculous, but we at least have Halloween and Christmas. We need one for my birthday. We'll we'll see when we record. So we have a rule in Flamin' Brack household that we do not celebrate Christmas until after my birthday on November 29th. Even after Thanksgiving, we have to wait until after November 29th because no matter your religious beliefs or if you are agnostic Christian or anything in between or outside of that, you know that my birthday cannot compete with Jesus. Here's the thing. I'm also actively against putting up Christmas decorations until at least after Thanksgiving. So a few more days is not anything. My birthday always falls after Thanksgiving, scientifically speaking. So we got to wait until at least that. That's fine. Absolutely. But yes, uh, we're here. Episode 131. I'm going to go ahead and crack the first beer so we can get this one. We're only having one beer on this episode, partially because this is high alcohol, partially because we have nothing else new in the house. And partially because it's a Monday night. And you're also hearing me speak completely sober, so we do not need any more alcohol in this brain. No. You mean any at all? Any at all. (laughs) So this is another beer from Cabin Boys Brewery, and it's another beer uh, that was a gift from Lee. You know, the good thing about starting at the bottom is you can only go up from there, but you never go down. Oh, you can keep digging down. There's there's stuff down there. It's spooky. Uh, So Cabin Boys, uh, this is their Bearded Theologian. It is a 12-ounce can of a Belgian-style quad, my favorite style, 8.4% alcohol by volume, 24 IBUs, and 20 SRMs. This says the quadruple ale has deep aromas and flavors of raisins and caramel from the malt. Hints of cinnamon and spices pair perfectly with a pipe and a good book. BYOB, bring your own beard. So Lee brought this over when he came over for dinner last week and Delton had two of these in one evening because they're among his favorite styles of beer and I thought that he was going to propose to Lee by the end of the night he was so happy listen I love a good Belgian quad and this one happens to be a good Belgian quad shouldn't have told Lee that the key to Delton's heart was bringing him beer well he also brought me that Chimay that time he did and this time he also brought you a couple of vintage board games those were for us yes they're for us tell tell the friends listening about the games we got so lee got us a i think it's from the 80s version of easy money easy money is a basically like a re-implementation of a game called the landlord game i think or something something like that but it's a a kind of monopoly-esque game i'm not really sure how the rules will play but we'll have to try it sometime and then he also got us a game called logomaki and logomaki was originally created in the late uh, 1800s 
And the copy that he brought us is from, from what we can surmise, like 1922, 1923, which is the year that Milton Bradley bought out the original company to then publish the game. Because it looks exactly like the 19 teens and 20s version from the other company. But Milton Bradley then bought it, so their name is now on the box. And it's uh, it looks to be a card game where the cards have letters on them, and you make words. I don't really know much beyond that. I'm going to have to read the rules, which is, of course, printed inside the box lid. And there we go. But we're, excited for those. Yeah, we're really excited. Thank you, Lee, for the early Christmas presents. Man, we're celebrating Christmas already, even though we didn't mean to. See? Ah. I hate it. Anyway, we have a beer here. It's got a nice amber tone to it, even though we're drinking it not out of a beer glass, but out of just like a standard, you know, small glass from your kitchen cabinet. A milk cup. Basically. Uh, it's got some little bubbles going in there, a little bit of like haze to it from probably sediment of some sort. When you smell it, you do get that kind of raisin, you know, that kind of like uh, a sweet fruit, like a raisin, a date, something like that. It's cinnamon raisin bread. Basically. Yes. Get a little bit of that cinnamon, like you said. You get that sweetness in it. There's always like a lot of deep uh, maltiness, but it's not super roasty. It's not also not like the chocolatey version. It really is like the raisin kind of comes through. But there's another there's another quality in the malt that I can't quite put my finger on. Uh, but it's got a nice strong base with a little bit of sweetness, not a lot of hop to it at all. And then it's a really smooth finish on this one, too. Do you remember whenever you were like seven years old and your mom brought you cinnamon raisin bread because she wanted to try it? And it was all the rage in like 1998. And she bought some, she put it in the toaster and she put some country crock or some, can't you believe it's not butter on it? And you sat there at the kitchen counter and you pulled out the raisins one by one and ate them. That's what this tastes like. No, I'm not a weirdo that just eats the raisins out of the bread. I ate the bread, but I ate the raisins first. That's what this tastes like, is a little raisins with a little bit of butter, in quotations. It's delicious. It's delightful. Do try it. It's really good. I love a good Belgian quad. There's something about it. So, uh, this one, surprisingly, doesn't taste as strongly in terms of the like actual the beer content or the ethanol burn you can get from some really strong quads. Uh, however... It's very good. So Cabin Boys did a good job. There was only the one beer from them so far we haven't really cared for. Going stag, right? Yes, but the last one, uh, shoot, it was the Latin name, like the dark and something. It's on my list here. Is it the one that was the campfire? Felix et Tenebris. Yes, Felix et Tenebris. It was the campfire. That was the really good stout. Putting my Catholic powers to use. That one was really good. This one's really good, so there you go. That works out. So what else we do this week, Delty Poo? I had a game day at Brian's house while you worked. We got to go see Kyle in Tulsa and have a great lunch and great time hanging out, going to an antique shop and then a, a coffee shop, and that was really fun. Got to go to Turkey Mountain and a comic store. Got Delton the cutest jacket. I got a really nice late 70s vintage like rancher-style uh, wool and Sherpa jacket from the antique like thrift store. Our friend Kyle picked it out, and he's like, oh my gosh, it has... It has orange and it has blue, but the orange is perfectly matches Delton's beard and the blue perfectly matches his eyes. So he looks adorable and cuddly in it as always, but even more so. It's very warm. I am going to need it because next week it's like in the 40s here. Uh, however, we need to clean it because everything from an antique store or like a Goodwill has that smell of the detergent they use. And I got to get that out. And that one also has an added layer of incense because of the store we bought it from. Yes, it does. And it needs to be washed badly. We also celebrated Halloween this week. We did. We had Halloween this week, carving pumpkins and handing out candy. And so longtime listeners might be familiar with my Zalgo outfit. So Zalgo is apparently an internet monster. 
I did not know this. I just knew that the costume was $14 when I was in graduate school, and I bought it. It's a Zalgo bodysuit. So it's a black and white suit with big red eyes and long, drapey, uh, like icicle-like white fingers. It looks really spooky, and I wore that to give out candy this year. As she always does. As I always do. And so with the little kids, what I do is I do kind of a silly walk up to them, because I can still see in the costume kind of barely. And I'd get down on their level, and I'd say, Happy Halloween! And i give them candy, and they enjoyed it. They were a little, you can tell they are a little nervous, a little scared, but they're all smiles, especially because we had full-size candy bars. Yes, we did. But then, later in the evening, so Delton is pulling in our pumpkin carving stuff because Delton and I like to sit on the front porch and carve pumpkins on Halloween. That's kind of been our thing. And we're turning the lights off, and we see three teenagers walking down the street. And I'm like, oh, snap, night's not over, y'all. So I pull my Zalgo suit back on, and I go take the candy bucket, and I stand in the yard. And I start tapping my fingers on the side of the bowl. Yes. And the neighborhood is quiet. Like, it is 8.30, 8.45. Everyone else is asleep. This is like our last batch of trick-or-treaters. And I hear them talking, and they start walking up to us, and as they start walk- or up to me. And as they start walking, they start to get quieter and quieter. And then they say nothing. And they get closer, and I'm just going... Standing still in the middle of my yard, I slowly start to turn my head to look at them. They walk up, and in a little sheepish voice, they go, Trick or treat? Yes. Hello? Yes. And at this point, I'm still standing still, but I'm turning my head ever so slowly to look at them. And they approach, and they say, Okay, trick or treat. Do we take the candy? And I say nothing. And then one of them goes to reach his hand into the bowl, and I just shove my bowl out into the middle of them, and they all yell. And I shake the bowl a little bit, and they say, uh, can we take one? And I tilt my head, and I look at them, and I give a quick little nod. And then they each grab one, and the other one says, another kid says, can we take two? And I look up slowly at him, and I nod once. They took two to three, and then... They put it in their bags, and as they're walking away, each of them are checking over their shoulder. I pull the candy bowl back to me really abruptly and just for the rest of the time go and follow them with my head as they walk down the street. It was delightful, but they were compensated with two to three full-size candy bars each, so I'm not that mean, but it was a delightful Halloween for all of us. But we got to do that, and the Saturday before, I think we mentioned this on the last podcast, we were about to go uh, to the drive-in movie with Jim, Wynn, and Cody. Yes, we got to go to the drive-in, watch Friday the 13th, watch the original Nightmare on Elm Street, sit and have chili and snacks and cookies and beer, and just have a good time sitting in the cold watching a movie at the drive-in. I fell asleep on a parking lot. Uh, you did, just on the picnic blanket on the ground, because you're weird. It was We delightful. had perfectly good chairs. <laughs> but there's a perfectly good ground. You slept on the ground, and Jinwin went and sat in the car. Me and Cody just sat there and enjoyed our movies in the cold. We're all happy, but it was a really good week, a great spooky week, very grateful. Like Delton said, end of the week, seeing our friend Kyle and going to Turkey Mountain and also playing some games. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. Like a verdant. Oh, played for the very first time. This is what... <laughs> This is what you wanted me to let... Why you wanted me to let you introduce the game? I've been holding on to that all day. That's so not even good. Like, I'm laughing because of how bad that is and just how, like, lame. Ugh. Does anybody want to take a free Haley? I come with a free copy of Verdant. 
listen here, I bought this for me, not for you anymore. Friggin' dick. Anyway, Jesus. You're sleeping on the couch tonight, that's for sure. I'm gonna be laying in bed and they're going, womp, 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 the way I've been doing my... That's what he's been doing all day, just sounding like a, I don't know, like a chicken from a 1940s cartoon, just singing lots of songs. Womp, 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 womp. Or, wop, 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 wop. or what was his name? Bill Burnham. Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham. Yes, that's basically my life this afternoon. <laughs> anyway, Verdant is the newest game uh, from Flat Out Games and AEG. You might recognize the Flat Out Games company as well as their collaboration with AEG for wider distribution as the company who also created Cascadia and Calico. And coming to Kickstarter very soon, uh, fit to print. And all of their boxes are the same size. They're all the same shape, everything. It makes me really want to get Cascadia and fit to print and just have the flat out collection of puzzle games because they've all been good. I still think Calico's my favorite, but Calico's also the most brain burner. I think Verdant, this is just, I guess, jumping ahead. Verdant is close to Calico. And then Cascadia is the third one just because it was the most simple, but also was very tired when I played it, and I need to play it again to give it a true fair shake, but anyway. So Verdant is the newest game. Verdant uh, is a flat-out games collab with Joseph Z. Chin for development and marketing. The design, development, art direction, administration, and marketing is Molly Johnson. You've got Dylan Mangini is graphic design. Robert Melvin, design development logistics. Aaron Mesburn, Design, Development, Art Direction, Marketing. Kevin Russ, Design. Sean Stankiewicz, Design, Development, Project Management, Art Direction, Graphic Design, Production, Marketing, Crowdfunding. Good job, Sean. That's a ton of stuff. Illustration, Beth Sobel, the amazing, delightful, and somehow draws everything as beautifully as it can be drawn. I don't understand. I almost pitched, well, I did pitch to Delton making this just a Beth Sobel appreciation. But we do that with every game that's Beth Sobel artwork. We go, by the way, she also drew this game, and it's fantastic. And she's also fantastic. We both turn into Valley Girls. We're like, oh my god, Beth Sobel's so great. So we could make a sharp turn and just make this a Beth Sobel appreciation podcast. It's not too late. It's not too late. Uh, there is also a solo mode designed by Sean Stankiewicz. Uh, and then AEG, they have Nicholas Bongu as director of projects, David Lepore as production, and Adelheid Zimmerman as production. Those are from AEG. So Verdant was a Kickstarter game, and it's officially in the hands of Kickstarter backers. I got mine in literally four days ago, I think, at this point. Uh, I know some other people that got theirs about a week before that, so it depends on where you're situated, at least here in the U.S. I don't know about outside of that. But Verdant is the next big puzzle game from this uh, design group, this company, this little you know collaboration of people where they just say, everybody, let's get together and make fun games, and they do it. Verdant is all about having rooms and plants together in your little house tableau. During the game, you're going to be taking tiles, which are items, or, sorry, I should say, which are either unique item tokens or nurture item tokens. Unique item tokens are a cat, a table, a sofa, a fish, a shelf, a dog, a bird, a chair, or a lamp. You know, things you decorate with or animals that you have in your home. The nurture tokens are fertilizer, a hand trowel, and a watering can. You'll be taking tiles as well as rooms to place in your house and more plants to place in your house. You'll build a tableau in front of you 
that is going to be a three by five. That is three cards high by five cards long. Uh, that's going to be the main basis of this game is on your turn, there's a little market. The market has four columns. There's one room and one plant and one tile in each column. Every time you uh, have a turn, you may take a tile and a card from a single column. And then you put them in your room, do whatever you have to do, and then the next player gets to go. You'll have exactly 13 turns in the game because there's 15 cards in your tableau and you start with two. So you start with a plant and a room. There are also some tokens in the game called green thumb tokens. And they're just these little like green outlined thumbs uh, in I think three or four different skin tones, which was really neat. I still think they could have just done an actual like green thumb. It didn't need to be any skin tones. I was thinking about that. I was like, why aren't they just all green? Because when I think of a green thumb, I just think of a big green what was the old cartoon of the guy with the green thumb? All I know is the green giant on the green bean can. No, no, no. There was one where there's like, oh, shoot. They're like little fairy people or something. And they're they're in like a park. There's like a hedge. And he like slides down some leaves and shit. And he's got a big green thumb. And he can like make stuff grow. And I think my... that's called a fever dream. He had a COVID shot a couple of days ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Troll in Central Park. I have never seen that in my life. Oh, dude. This movie, holy jeez, it's a troll. He's got, he's legitimately got a green thumb, and he can just touch stuff, and it like grows. I watched this as a kid. Look at this little shithead. That kid's definitely the antagonist. Yes, <laughs> it's just angry child with a boat in the water. Oh man, I remember that movie. That's a, that's been a long time. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I also just closed my tabs I had open. I'll have to pull those back up for later. <laughs> Verdant is all about those green thumbs being used to also manipulate the market you're purchasing cards from, or, or I guess taking cards from. You can spin those green thumbs to wipe cards away that don't have thumbs on them. You can use those green thumbs to take a tile and a card from a different column, where normally it must be the same. And then, no matter what you do, you're placing these rooms and these plants into your uh, tableau. And that's the main way the game is going to function. The rooms have, on all four sides, some sort of lighting they're providing, whether it be shaded. What is, what is the one? It's, uh, it's full lighting, partial lighting, and I think the, was the other one no lighting, shaded lighting? That's the only term that I never actually got, and I haven't looked. Shade, okay. Full sun, semi-shade, and shade. And so all four sides of the rooms have those different lighting conditions. The plants require anywhere from one to three different lighting conditions, or I guess except one to three lighting conditions. So if you put a plant next to, if a plant that requires full sun next to a room, and on the same side you put the plant of that room, it produces full sun, that plant will now get a verdancy token. Verdancy tokens are what you use to basically grow these plants until you can pot them. Each plant has a number in the top right, and that is the number of verdancy required before your plant is complete, and you may pot it. When you pot a plant, you will now receive full points at the end of the game for the value of that plant card. You also, if you complete pots early enough in the game, there are three other types of pots. I should say there are four types of pots. One's just basic terracotta, not worth anything. There are three other types of pots that are worth bonus points at the end of the game, so you want to complete plants faster. Anytime you place a room or a plant in your house, you will get verdancy as long as there is an actual lighting requirement matchup. When you have those items, 
that are fertilizer, the hand trowel or the watering can. Those allow you to add verdancy to your plants to make them pot faster. And a lot of times that's the only way you're actually going to get it to pot is by taking care of it. And then whenever you get the, you know, the bird, the couch, the table, the bookshelf, the dog, the cat, the fish, whenever you get those, you can place those into the rooms. Now, all of the plants and all of the rooms have five different colors. And technically it's color and pattern which is very handy for people with any kind of color blindness. Even though the patterns are a little faint, you can still pick them out and say, oh, this one's the kind of like, you know, clamshell. And this one over here is more of like a, I don't know, a chevron or something. Um, so that's really a, a good design. But uh, there are five different colors of each. If you have, uh, let's say you have a purple room, which is the cactus, you know, uh, uh, classification, and you have the purple cards around that room, you're going to get one point for each matching color plant around a room at the end of the game. So uh, adjacency is only up, down, left, right, so orthogonal. So if on the left and right of that room at the end you have cactuses, that is two extra points. However, if you happen to have, let's say, a fishbowl in the matching room color, so it's a fishbowl with a purple background, so it matches your purple room, and that's where you place it, you will get double points for those plants around that room. So instead of two, you would now get four. So you also want to keep an eye out for those different matching color combinations. But that's really the basis of how the game's going to work. I know that's kind of a lot. But basically, you're picking some stuff up off the market, a card and a tile. And you are going to place the card into your home in your little tableau, your 3x5, wherever you want to place it, that it can fit. The only big requirement is the cards must go uh, checkered style. So it has to be plant, room, plant, room, plant. And then underneath that is going to be room, plant, room, plant, room. And you're going to do that for your three uh, full rows. They have to stagger like that. And you're going to build this room up, trying to complete your plants, trying to get matching items in those rooms, and hopefully have rooms with matching plants beside them, and just have a bunch of cohesive stuff to where you'll get maximum amount of points. There are also some end-game goals that everybody can go toward. Technically, they're part of the advanced setup, but I think that you can just throw them in there, unless you're playing with uh, unless you're playing with like a younger member of, uh, or someone who's like really new to games and you just want to say, okay, let's ignore this extra shit. You can just do the basic game and call it good and it still is going to function almost identically. Uh, but the bonus point thing is kind of fun to be like, oh, I'm going to also try to get that if I can. Uh, aside from that, I think that that's uh, pretty much how the game works. So it's a tableau builder and it's a lot of puzzle, but it's very fun. I think one of the things I really like about it is that it's one of those games that is forgiving in its difficulty. And what I mean by that is no matter where you place your plant, no matter where you place your room, aside from having to do room plant, room plant in the checkered style, you don't have to match types. You don't have to match lighting sources. You don't have to actually match things up. So there's never going to be a turn where you go, crap, I can't play that and you have to lose points or destroy it or you can't place it. You can always place it. And with the green tokens like fertilizer, you can still always get that plant to finished. For example, I had a room. It was a yellow room. It was a nice room. And that yellow room had a little yellow bird token. It was a nice little yellow bird token. But that little yellow room was not next to any plants that it could actually uh, nourish. And so I basically had an empty yellow room with a bird in it, and that was that was my room. Empty yellow room with a bird in it. Exactly, and that may not have gotten you any points. No, no, it got me one. 
because it was a yellow room with a yellow bird. Oh, is that because the bonus tile we had? Heck yeah. Right? <laughs> but it, you weren't, aside from missing points, though, you weren't punished. No. Like one of the things, I played this with Brian, his wife, and another Brian. And one of the things me and Brian were talking about were, uh, was when you play like Sagrada and you mess up in a window, you just have to like destroy that dice and say, okay, I messed up. And it feels punishing where this game, and even honestly, Calico's this way too. It sucks when you mess up what you're trying to do, or there's no other option but to mess something up you're waiting to go for. However, you can put something without having to worry about, oh, shoot, wait, I should have matched this and this and that. Like, it's a little more forgiving, in a way, to that. And it feels nice not having to skip a turn. But that's always terrible. Whenever you make a mistake early on, or you get a poor dice roll, like not being able to play. Like this one, like Delt says, even if you're not going to get points for it, it's still more satisfying to still be able to play a card. Oh, absolutely. It's just satisfying, yeah, to to keep playing and keep building. And then even if you placed it and you didn't get any benefit from what you already had, you're likely still going to be building onto it so you can take advantage. So you too can have an empty yellow room with a bird in it. Oh, exactly. Sorry, I started to yawn when I said, oh, exactly, just now. That was bad. But I also like, uh, with this game, it's it's not only like a cute game and, you know, just adorable with the little verdancy tokens that are these little plant leaves. Uh, but I do like that the game's not overly challenging. When you sit down to play Calico, you're like, oh, I get to do this. I just have to make some patterns. It very quickly becomes, oh, no, I've messed up so badly. I've lost all these points now. And it just becomes this screwy puzzle that you're trying to math your way out of. And it's just so difficult and can be frustrating. And so far with Verdant, I've only played it twice. You've only played it once. But uh, with Verdant... It's these like not exact opposite of that, but you're like, I'm going to take a room, put it here. Oh, nice. I get bonus. But it doesn't have the feeling of I have to. You don't have that feeling of I have to get a purple room here or else. Where in Calico, you do have to or else you've ruined one of your chances at scoring. I feel like the difference between this one and Calico is there is no turn in Verdant where your entire game rests on one play. I think that's a very good observation and exactly correct. Because in Calico, there's multiple times where the difference in one play can cost you a game by like 10 points. Because, for example, if you have the token where you have to get all six patterns and all six colors different, and you have one tile that either makes you double up on a color or double up on a pattern, or worse, both, you've lost like a quarter of your points right there. Oh, absolutely. It's brutal. One of the things Verdant does to also allow you to uh, better strategize your turns as well as be able to perform your turn in the way that you want or at least get closer to it is if you have green thumbs, uh, one of the ways to get the green thumbs is whenever you take a card from the market, the other card in that column gets a green thumb for not being taken. And if it's not taken again and someone takes the card underneath it, then it gets another green thumb and it can actually build up. One of the games I played at Brian's house, I took a card with three green thumbs on it and that felt huge. The green thumbs though, you can spend two of them at the beginning of your turn and either wipe out any cards that don't have green thumbs on them and get new ones, or you can wipe out all four tokens and get all four new tokens on the board. And that makes it really nice because you can be like, shoot, I really, really, I had a turn like this. I need a dark blue. I need one dark blue item to put in this room to get extra points. And I wiped the tokens and sure enough, got a single dark blue item. And I was like, I don't care what the room I'm taking with it is or the plant. I'm taking this item. 
And it was just really nice to be able to wipe those out and be like, oh, I got what I wanted. Another way you can get them is, and I don't know if this is going to be available, but for our copy, we did get the Kickstarter. You know, we, we backed it. And it comes with a Kickstarter exclusive mini expansion. It's basically plants like a Chia Pet and like a succulent that are super easy to maintain and take care of. You can't pot them for extra points. They don't hold verdancy tokens. However, anytime they would gain verdancy for whatever reason, whether it be lighting conditions or using something like the hand trowel, watering can, or fertilizer, they will grant you a green thumb for each verdancy they would have gotten. And so they're a big generator of verdancy, uh, or sorry, of green thumbs. And I'm wondering, without those in the game, how easy do green thumbs come? Because it's really, at that point, I think only if you're taking cards without, or sorry, that haven't been taken before. So that seems like it would be difficult. I think we need to, at some point, we'll play it without those cards and make sure to just keep an eye on it, uh, just because I want to see, I want to see how that works out. But the green thumbs are super helpful. So I like that this game is forgiving. It's a puzzle game. It can be a tough puzzle. It's almost never going to be a perfect house you're putting together. But I like that the game lets you mess up and doesn't punish you for it. It lets you make those decisions and also make mistakes. Like I just feel like it does a really good job saying, here's a puzzle, see how good you can do, but if you mess up, that's all right. Which is a lot more forgiving than Calico, and I think it's going to be a lot more friendly for people than Calico after playing. Uh, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's one of those games, though, that every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, I want to play that. It's a good game. Unless we're busy or tired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really like how forgiving the game was, too. But what I really liked was the garden party covers of the 90s grunge music that you played for us while we played. Oh, yeah. I put on a playlist on Spotify. I just dug for, like, garden music. And uh, I think I did garden, relaxing garden music or something. Instrumental. And uh, instrumental. Made sure it was instrumental. And it was just this garden music of random stuff. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was one of those, just like when we go to Tidal Light. Yeah, that song. But it's just instrumental. And it's just so funny because you're like, wait, what? Okay. And then I have to skip those because I know the songs. <laughs> Completely took us out of the moment because at first we were like, oh, yeah, look at us building our little rooms with our little plants. And then that song came on. And you're like, hold on. Yeah. And then you have to skip it. But it's pretty fun to put on like, you know, oh, this is my gardening music or this is my outdoor yoga, relaxing acoustic stuff. And then boom, you've got now music to play Verdant to. But it's a really good game. Uh, mine and Haley's game together was 30 minutes. I think so, yes. And then our four-player game at Brian's was like just shy of an hour, which I think was probably a little bit long, but it was also three new people and me. And once you've played it, you'll be able to just pick it up and go into it pretty quick. Well, we really enjoyed it. I look forward to playing it again. And also, it is adorable. Bless you, Beth Sobel. It is a very good game. I think it is a great pickup. Um, like I said, I think my rankings so far for their games based on my plays are Calico, very close second place, Verdant, and then Cascadia in a solid third. And uh, hopefully I get to play Cascadia again to judge it a little better and hopefully Fit to Print uh, does a good job because that's one that I really want to look at backing maybe. It also looks adorable. One thing Verdant does that kind of surprised me is it actually has a pretty normal starting player selection process. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So for the topic today, we just wanted to find something that was a little different because 
this is a Beth Sobel artwork game. It's very easy to just say, let's just talk about how pretty Beth Sobel's art is. It's a puzzle game. Let's just talk about puzzle games. It feels like it's been a lot of, this one encapsulates a lot of what we like about gaming, which means it encapsulates a lot of what we've already covered in topics. Not that that's a bad thing, but I was struggling to come up with something really different and Haley has been helping me out tremendously on it. So what uh, Haley came up with and what I have named is non-game design. And basically, this is the thing in board games that is a design that's not really part of the game. It's the flavor. Kind of, yes. And the best uh, example of this, the first example that we'll go with, is going to be choosing a starting player. So Verdant chooses a starting player very easily. You're going to hand everybody one plant and one room to start their tableau at the beginning of the game. Whoever's plant has the highest verdancy requirement will be the first player. If more than one player has the highest verdancy requirement, uh, I don't remember what the rule was after that. You immediately have a tiebreaker. <laughs> oh, the player with the plant name that is first alphabetically would start if there's a tie. So pretty simple, pretty straightforward. It's whoever's plant requires the most love gets to go first. And uh, after that, it's whoever's is alphabetically first. But even within that, the alphabetically first is a weird starting thing, right? Like, what is going on? But not as weird as Calico's. Not as weird as Calico's, because we, we, we're going to have some examples here of ways that uh, you can start a game. But Calico's is the first person to have pet a cat. Which is why or, I always I guess the go last first. Person. Yes, because I, Haley pets the cats more. I do. They are my children. I pet them all the time. I will always go first in Calico. If you play that with me, I will be going first. Pretty much every time. But we if were th- not, I'll find me a street cat. But we were thinking about these things in games, this, this starting requirement and also uh, other stuff we'll talk about here shortly. And it's just kind of funny because I feel like a lot of these starting requirements, they're so weird because there's something people come up with and some can be creative and some can be very boring, such as flip a coin, roll a dice, pick. There's a game, I can't remember what game it was we played recently that I have that just says, choose a starting player in whatever me- method you deem the best. And I don't remember if that was Lost Runes Varnak or... Was it Hippocrates? It might be Hippocrates. Yeah, I think it was that one. It was because we were like, okay, who's going to go first? We're trying to guess, you know, what the what the starting designation is going to be. And it's like, pick a first player. Well, that's not fun. So I think part of the reason why I like things like that is because you guys know that I like conversations around board games. That's one of the reasons I like to play. It always starts a good conversation, too. Like, okay, no, I was the last one to pet a cat. No, I was. Well, when did you pet the cat? Okay, and it turns into a police report of what time did you pet the cat and where. And as you're trying to compare who pet the cat the last time. The same with, uh, I think you said Preda Porter is the last person who sewed. I think it's the last person who sewed. And it kind of inter- turns into either a uh, like a police report style. When's the last time you sewed? Where were you on the night of the 15th? And you're trying to determine who's the last person to actually sew something whenever you haven't actually sewed something since you were in 4-H camp back in 2012. I mean, that's pretty accurate to how a lot of these are. But it's just kind of funny because it's, you know, you go through this whole process of designing a board game and making these rules and dealing with all this stuff. And then you're like, well, how do we make the first player? And it's like, there's, there's, there's games like Verdant that says the highest number just gets it basically, right? The highest number gets it nice and easy. But then there's games like Calico where it's the last player to pet a cat or whoever pet a cat most recently. And it's just funny that it's completely irrelevant in that case versus in Verdant where there's actually a reason that they're becoming the first player. They're having the highest, most difficult plant 
except for the tiebreaker part of that where it's the alphabetically because two people are essentially the same. And the thing is, too, when you're first player in Verdant, you get no green thumbs. Everybody else gets one green thumb, but the last player who gets two green thumbs. So they actually have the strongest start in the game being last, where the first player that has the hardest actual plant to finish has the worst positioning, essentially. So it's kind of weird. As a second player in a two-player game, I gave that two green thumbs up. I'm sure you do. But there's a bunch of other ones, too, that we have found that are pretty fun. Do you still have your list as well? No, you said you found one, and I did I I did find one. You closed yours? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's the obvious of oldest player goes first or youngest player goes first. Nice and simple. You've got uh, Champions of Midgard has player who most recently earned glory in battle goes first. Why? <laughs> That's not going to be a thing. Well, like, you don't know. It could be a video game. It could be LARPing. I mean, I guess so. It could be neighbors over the fence line. Small world is players with most pointed ears go first, which is why you go all the time. Hell yeah, brother. You Got them Spock ears. Your Spock ear. Ear. Singular. <laughs> <laughs> You've got Tiny Towns, player who most recently built something. Where is this coming from? What list is this from, Delty? Sorry. So this is from a website called Board Game Have, but the have is missing the E. So it's not like you're having something. How? Hav. Hav. You're not going to have it. Uh, you've got the player who got up earliest on the day of gameplay goes first for Smash Up. Player whose character's birthday is soonest goes first in Betrayal at House on the Hill. That's kind of fun because it's within the game. Uh, Love Letter, player who's last uh, who has been on a date most recently. Helios, player who has visited the most continents. Cards Against Humanity, who a uh, player who most recently went number two. The one who went on the date the most recently, that one can get spicy quick. That, it, on the group. It might, yeah. Uh, Chrononauts, this one's ridiculous. Like, here's the thing. I like some of these goofy ones. Pandemic, player who was most recently sick goes first. Gloom. Too soon on that one, by the way. (laughs) Player who has had the worst day. Mamma Mia, hungriest player. Well, that one's impossible to decide. But then this one, player who can most accurately guess the current time goes first. Because for a time traveler, knowing when you are is way more important than knowing where you are. That's fantastic. And it's like, what are you, what are you doing? Stop this. I I love it, though, because like you're talking about, you know, who can decide who's hungriest. That just leaves it open to discussion of who's hungriest, and then it becomes a a self-report. But that's a game on its own. It is, and I love it so much. I don't need a game in a game. The Reef, player who can hold their breath the longest, then you got to test it at the table. (laughs) So you guys should see this. So I'm sitting here kicking my feet, like smiling. Adult has his arms crossed. He's looking down, <laughs> frowning at each of these. I'm an old man. <laughs> Let me be an old man. Uh, Gold Rush City, player who most player in most need of a shave. Haley every time. What? Terror in Maple City, player who can make the best roar goes first. Ooh. Flower Power, player with the most colorful clothing goes first. That's an easy one. I think I win that one. Dweebies, player with the most hair. Nothing personal, player who looks the most like a gangster. I think it means it in like mobster gangster as opposed to like OG gangster. That makes sense? I hope so. Okay. Player that looks most like a monster goes first and throws some floors. Car- Cartagena? 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 Player who most looks like a pirate. <laughs> oh, oh, here's a good Haley one. Player with either the best mustache or the longest hair goes first. If uh. one player has a very nice mustache and the other player has the longest hair, settle the issue with an arm wrestling match. And so since you have the <laughs> nicest hair and I have the nicest mustache, we're going to be arm wrestling. Probably. Yeah. That's the Great Heartland Hauling Co. 
the rest of these, most recently a skyscraper, last to go on a cruise, most recent to visit Portugal, most recent to visit Belgium, most recent to visit Italy. Who is just like goes to Portugal? That's for Azul. Oh, that's right. Most, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that one, every time we've asked, like, I think we forget that every time we play Azul, and we're like, oh, who goes first? We read it, they all, like, stare around the table and be like. No one's been? Yeah, no one's been. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Mexico. <laughs> You've got player who most recently has been to Hamburg, or if none have, the person who most recently ate a hamburger. That's for the game Hamburgum. That's great. That's just That's a clever one. Ridiculous. And then this is the last one, and this is for a game called The Bridges of Shangri-La, which I've never heard of. Player who most recently reached the peak of Mount Everest using nothing but blue and white checkered stilts carved from the wood of a mammoth tree is declared the starting player. In case of a tie, the wisest player of the group begins the game. Which is just a fight waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it's me. Uh, it's a fight waiting to happen. <laughs> so yeah, those are the first player rules. And they're so goofy and, and weird. But, I mean, they're fun. It's just like, there's there's a point where you're like, listen, I don't need to argue. Because what game is it? Uh, uh, on tour, says the player with the best music taste. It's immediately inviting an argument I don't know, it's <laughs> to the table. It's immediately saying, okay, Brian. No, <laughs> Brian thinks it's okay, Brian, and you think it's okay, you, and well, I think it's okay, me. Ever since Brian introduced me to Orville Peck, he wins that. I don't believe it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you have more years on Earth than another person to discover other music in the process, you have this tree of slow branches that you can reach back out to and see what new growth is on there. So years of experience just benefits there. Oh, man. Does that mine, make sense? Mine's basically a telephone pole because it's like, oh, Orville Peck, I discovered three years ago, but here's the Beatles. Uh, basically, yes, it's fine. Mine does the same crap. But yeah, that's that's something that a lot of people design. They design these things for these games, but they're non-game design because they're not designing the game itself, but they're still part of either the theme of it or designing, I don't know, just, just the experience of playing their game. The experience, I feel like. And it's so goofy and weird and not important at all, but no. at the same time... It's so it, like, delightful s- and fun and extremely important and gets your head in the game it. before the Stop game it. starts. Let me finish. No. Now I can't remember what I was going to say. Basically, it's not important at all, but at the same time, it's part of what you remember sometimes in these games. You remember different things in different starting conditions, which leads me... To the other things that you remember, if you would let me finish, which is that's t- what she said. Tiebreakers as well, because there are different tiebreakers in games that actually make sense. It's like, oh, you have the same points. Okay, the f- next person to have more of the most valuable resource in the game, that's the pl- the winner. You know, things like that. And sometimes they can spiral out of control into ridiculousness, but not too often. But you've got uh, Verdant here. You tally up all the points if there's a, uh, let me see. In the case of a tie, the player with the most green thumb tokens. That makes sense. It's the player who won the game and still has green thumb tokens left over, which means they likely, likely, not saying this is exactly the case, didn't use as many. Is kind of the assumption for me there. I just want to make a quick observation. What's that? This is not a gatekeeping observation because whether you are new to board games or have been playing board games for 20 years, you know, there's an equal chance for everyone to really win at new games, I think. Because, like, we, when we show Dakota new games, he, he wins 90% of the time. He's never played them before, and he's not really a big gamer. But I feel like you can always tell a new gamer versus an experienced gamer by who starts to put their resources away whenever it's scoring time. Oh, yeah. If you're, if you're not used to it, you're like, hey, what, what's the tiebreaker here? 
because it was like when me and you played Fantastic Factories, and you said, what's the tiebreaker? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I don't, th-. you were like, are the resources matter? I was like, I don't think, let me look. And then I was like, oh yeah, the most metal. You're like, okay. So you planned your turn to have more metal than I could have. Yes. That way, if there was a tie. And like, if you haven't played a lot of board games, like whenever the scoring's starting and everyone's tallying up the scores, like, okay, you start putting away your extra resources. And you could be missing out on your tie opportunity. But with those tiebreakers, there are plenty of tiebreakers, like I said, where it's, oh, the most of the most valuable resource or the hardest to get resource or sometimes it's, you know, the most cards on the table or, uh, I don't know, some other factor about the game. But there's also tiebreakers that are just oddly goofy to be goofy because I think the worst one, and a lot of games have this, is a, there's a tiebreaker within a tiebreaker within a tiebreaker within a tiebreaker, and then all the players share the victory. And it's like, that's cool. It's fine if you're doing, if it's like most points, most of this resource, most of this resource, most of this resource, most of this resource, if you're still tied, just share the thing. Okay, that makes sense. That's like the fifth tiebreaker. But when it's like the second or third, and you're like, listen, there's a high chance. You wouldn't have this many if there wasn't a high chance of it happening. That's always my thought process. But there's some that once you get in there, because I hate the non-tiebreaker of sharing it, there's some though that are so goofy, they make no sense. And that's what I have on this list here. This is from a website called goinganalog.com. Sorry, goinganalogshow.com seems to be maybe a podcast. I don't know. Found it on a website. The goofiest one we've talked about before is Arboretum, which is the tied players each plant a tree. Whoever's tree has grown the tallest in five years is declared the winner. And I think that that's the second tiebreaker. You know what the crazy thing is? What? So Allison and I tie the first one we played arboretum and we got to that and like we got to the tiebreaker where each of us have to plant a tree and see what happens i think we'd probably be three years into our tree at this point you probably would and you forgot about it till now yep <laughs> which it. is fine you you probably would have won let's be real we also have a game called thief's market the rule the first player to grab the start player marker and run from the room shouting you fools ha <laughs> wins why is that the tiebreaker <laughs> I love it. It's, uh, I'm trying to read like how far this thing is. Should you and your equally uh, shady peers tie on notoriety points, cards, and score tokens, the winner is the first player to grab the start player marker and dash from the room. So you have three other ones to get through, which is probably pretty unlikely at that point. I don't know. I feel like there's probably a good chance you wouldn't have three. Uh, But still, that makes me want to play Thief's Market on its own, though, because of how dumb that is. I don't know if this game's any good. It's from TMG, but I, I want to play it now. Uh, Portal, Portal, got Portal. Portal, the uncooperative cake acquisition game. The rule, tied players may appeal their cases in 10 words or less to the other division or anybody nearby and put it to a vote. None of these 10 words may contain the letter E. <laughs> I really want to play that in like a public gaming space. And like you go up and you have to make your case to a random stranger. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the little descriptor they give here, descriptor, because I think it sounds funny. Uh, the Portal video games are famous for the ruthless mocking sarcasm of robotic overlord GLaDOS, so it's only fitting that the board game-based adaptation would make a joke even of its winners. Fail to split a tie through the number of test subjects in your labs, and the remaining players will need to construct a 10-word case for their victory, all without using the English language's most common letter, E. It's exceptionally challenging to produce a short argument without the letter E. Seriously, there were nine in the last sentence alone. The result is one in which the competing players wind up sounding more like cavemen transported to the modern day and placed on trial. 
We also love the idea that anyone nearby can weigh in and vote, leaving some unfortunate soul in the room to pick between two barely coherent cases. I know burn food. Him burn your food. Bad man. Uh, her, I guess? Please leave me alone. That's what they put. That just made me laugh. The, I, I know burn food. Him burn your food. Bad man. Pretty good. It's great. Uh, Super Motherload, the player who lied about digging a hole loses. I guess the game has something to do with drilling. So there you go. Rattle, battle, grab the loot. Write an email to, with photos of your pirate ships to desi designer Ignacy Trevacek, who will decide the winner. What was the one that we saw the other day? Uh, oh, it was a war game that I saw online. It was like something like in, in the case of a tie or something like that. Email the designer. I can't. God, I can't remember yeah, what it is. It's something kind of like that one. Yeah. Where it's, it's like, yeah, email this person. They'll tell you what to do. And it's like, oh, what's happening? Just some other like quick fire ones. Petricor. First person to run to the nearest field and harvest a crop wins, or players can just enjoy the shared victory. Nothing personal. First player to throw the game off the roof wins. Plague Inc., per, uh, the board game, the first player to lie down on the floor and pretend to be dead wins. Blood Bowl team manager. If there is a double tie, the team manager's union suspects, suspects foul play and conducts an investigation. The TMU suspends each suspected tied manager indefinitely and they lose all their fans. The TMU presents the Manager of the Year award to the remaining manager who gained the most fans, and that manager wins the game instead. If all managers are still tied after checking for the most well-developed team, then the TMU loses all credibility and fans revolt and nobody wins the game. That sounds depressing. Thank you, Blood Bowl team managers. Uh, there you go. The last thing said, and if all else fails, is a game. Hold hands, skip down the sidewalk, and rejoice in your shared victory. No, I don't want to. I want to win. I'll do it with you. So there's a bunch of random tiebreakers. This is like the most random topic thing ever, but... Those tiebreakers are so goofy because they're always past the f at least one real tiebreaker that deals with the game, but then it's some goofy tiebreaker. I still think the best one of all of those is the one to grab the first player marker and leave the room saying, you fools, ma ha ha ha, which is pretty funny. I do too. See, for me, like whether it's the tiebreakers or what starts it, it's like you said, it sets the scene, it sets the tone for the game, it makes it really fun. I think it kind of lets you get your head in the game. And even those tiebreakers do, it kind of wraps it up with a nice bow. There's like that that final challenge that you're having to beat, whether it is you know, making an argument or comparing battle scars or something like that. It, it just it makes it fun to end off. It's like the last duel before the end of the, the war. I can see that. And I kind of wish that more games had more tiebreakers, even though I know they actually have to get a tie to use the tiebreakers. And man, I enjoy them a lot. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. And because I love them a lot, the question of the episode is, what is a tiebreaker that you would put in one of your favorite games? Yes, what odd tiebreaker would you use? Haley, go ahead, since this is your topic. Ooh, for Calico, the first person who can get a cat to willingly come to them. Well, me and you could win that, because we know what tones to whistle or to, like, make for our cats to come to us. We will not divulge that information on this podcast. That is a trade secret of Malt House Games Incorporated. That's true. I had a really good one for wingspan. If you're tied with points, you have to decide who's most who's <laughs> who's most likely to bird. Was that what it was? Most likely to bird. I think it's most likely to bird. It's most likely to bird. Hold on, I gotta I gotta look now. I gotta confirm that it's most likely to bird. Okay, we have most to likely to bird. We have to put that on a mall. Okay, I'm already speaking this into the universe. Next, whatever we do for Malt House Games Patreons is going to have something to do with most likely to bird. I think it definitely needs to at this rate because it's it like the funniest to. stupid thing that's 
come out of my brain that I typed and then have no goddamn clue what it means. Well, neither one of us have, go ba- have gone back and looked either. We haven't listened, no, which is fine. We'll keep it that way. We will keep it that way. But yes, that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, Haley, I thought this was going to be a short episode. You said it, not Ow. me. I ran my glasses into the microphone. Yes, you did. Thank right. our Patreon backers, you fool. I was going to after I pointed out to you that it was a long episode. <laughs> Lots of editing ahead. Yes, thank you so much to our wonderful Patreon patri- uh, patrons. Jesus. Thank you to Allison, Allen, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you so much for backing us on Patreon at a level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. If you want to be like them, head over to patreon.com slash malthousegames, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S games. You can always send us an email, and I hope that you will, with some topics to talk about, some questions to answer, a game you think we need to cover, or a beer you think we should find and drink and talk about on the show. You can send those emails to contact at malthousegames.com. You can also find us on all social media at Malthouse Games. You can find me personally, even though I never use my personals, at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. That is also my BGG username. Uh, you can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. If you're listening to this, BGGCon has already happened, but we hope that we have seen you there. And if not, stay tuned next week for the BGGCon spectacular episode. Yes, this will be releasing the day we're driving home from BGG. Uh, we plan, I guess, I'm like you said, they've already have seen this, whatever. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Our stuff that we took pictures, at least maybe a few. And if you didn't, Sorry, we took pictures and forgot to show them to you. And hope you liked it. BGG next time. Goodbye. (laughs) Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye.